0: You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. Hey, everyone. Hey, last week I held up a piece of paper and I said, this is a piece of paper. Do you remember that? And this is a pen. So we had a whole bunch of people last week uh, agree or at least sign up for becoming a host or a leader of a potential group in which the rest of us can connect to this coming spring. Um, But what I believe is that we didn't get enough folks for that yet. So if you didn't sign up last week and you have a desire to do it, I've I've got this new piece of paper right here and this pen. And if you want to lead a home group or you want to host one in your home, Or you might have an idea for a group outside of your home. I I was talking to one person in here who thought that he would like to start like a hiking mountain climbing group. I thought, wow, that's great. Like, I mean, I don't want to go mountain climbing, but (laughs) maybe somebody does, you know. So, all right, well today i 'm starting uh, this is part two of my new series called strange ways and uh, I uh, was wrestling with the Lord during worship this morning because um, in preparation of my message this week, I wrote down a lot of words and sometimes i get uh, I can get bogged down with words and Amy and I and the kids, we went hiking through the woods yesterday, and I felt like the Lord just began to speak some things to me. So I do have notes, but I feel like I'm going to kind of try to not look at my notes today. Um, and I just want to tell you about some things from my heart this morning. Um, but I was I was thinking this week as I was reading, uh, thinking about last week's message. You know, we we heard the story about how Paul and Silas cast a demon out of a, a person, disrupted the whole city. They get dragged before the authorities, thrown into jail without any kind of uh, you know, due process. And uh, what's the first thing that they start doing when they go to jail? They start praying and singing, right? And um, I mean, what what I said last week is that's not what I would do. I would call my lawyer and write my congressman, Right. But Paul, Paul and Silas, they had something going on with them. They had something that was working on the inside of them that, um, I don't know, led them into a different direction. And uh, if, you re- if you remember, my, kind of my driving point of the message last week was that the miracle of that story isn't that an earthquake appeared or an earthquake happened and unlocked their chains and opened the prison doors. The real miracle of that story is that Paul and Silas didn't escape from the trouble that they had an opportunity to escape from, but they stayed where they were at. They stayed. In that strange dark place, and what did Paul call out to the jailer who was about to commit suicide? He said, "Hey, don't hurt yourself, because we are all here." So the the, the miracle of of escape or 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 uh, deliverance that happened—if that had happened to me—the conclusion I would come to. Or the assumption that I would make is that God would want me to leave. But the conclusion that Paul came to was, we might want to, wait a second. We might want to take a second look and see exactly what is going on. And he was able to save that man from not only killing himself, but the story goes on to say that eventually they did depart from the prison Because that jailer said, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you and all your household will enter into the goodness of God. Amen. So as I was thinking through that story this week, a familiar passage of scripture that I hope you know came to my mind. But I'll I'll just go ahead and read it. This is in 2 Corinthians 3. and, And Paul is writing this. He says, we, meaning us. We see the glory of the Lord, and we reflect it. Paul says, we see and reflect the glory of the Lord. The Holy Spirit is making us more like Him. All right? Now, this is interesting, because when I read the New Testament, and when I look at the Apostle Paul... I see a guy whose life is filled with light afflictions. I see a guy whose life is going from trouble to trouble. He's in one precarious situation after another. And we were kind of highlighting this peculiarity. That we see from followers of Jesus in the New Testament. I use the word strange. There's a strangeness that arises in the lives of people who are following Jesus. And we see this guy, Paul, who is going from trouble in his life to another trouble in his life. But he has the audacity to write down in the New Testament that what we're really doing is not going from one trouble to the next, but going from one glory to the next. And I don't think that the testimony of scripture is um, necessarily painting an easy picture, right? Aren't you glad that the Bible doesn't cheat on itself? Aren't you glad that the Bible tells the truth about what's actually happening in these people's lives? Like the Bible isn't holding back. The many occasions which the Apostle Paul goes to jail, is shipwrecked, is flogged, is betrayed, is, is set before the authorities and doesn't have a fair trial. And all of this stuff happens to him. But there is this strange glory that's on the inside of them that no matter what is happening into his life, he's saying something as crazy as I see the glory of the Lord and I'm reflecting it even from inside of a jail cell. I'm going from glory to glory. That's a perspective shift, isn't it? And so I started started realizing, I was like, what is it that happens to a person that would cause them to come to these kind of crazy conclusions? Because I know for me, I'm not there yet. And I don't really even think that Paul was always there. Now, now, speaking of the Bible not cheating on itself, in that passage in 2 Corinthians where Paul's saying, we reflect the glory of God. We see him and we're going from one glory to the next. You know, in the beginning chapter of that book, he says, well, here's, here's really what's happening to us right now is that, um, we were under such great pressure far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired even of life itself. That's in the Bible. It's in the same book where Paul's going, we're going from one glory to the next. That means that you and I can have days where we're like, man, I I cannot handle any more pressure. I cannot do this anymore, Lord. I am in such a bad place that I'm despairing of life. But what I love about the trajectory of that book is that's where Paul starts, but it's not where he stays. Okay. So you can have a bad season. You can have a bad day. But the thing that the Holy Spirit is leading the body of Christ to is a place of awareness where the glory that resides on the inside of us begins to lead us into a song of praise from the middle of a jail cell. That's a miracle. That's a greater miracle than the doors opening and you escaping from the hard circumstances of your life. The hard circumstances will often arise, but the glory of the Lord that you see is what you reflect. So I wanted to connect some dots for you this week because. I want to go to another place. Last week we were talking about this strange way of being in a hard place and how to get through this. And I began to think about what was it that made Paul be able to go through those types of things? What was it that Paul knew? Did Paul have some type of um, thought that God was somebody that he needed to appease. So when he went to jail, he just began to sing songs of praise because he felt like he needed to appease this distant, aloof deity. Is that what it was? Was Paul operating out of some sense of duty? And And I realized that what paul had going on in him was a love for god that no hardship could overcome paul had encountered the love of jesus in such a way that he he had an awareness a revelation i don't know what you want to call it but he had seen the face of love he had experienced a reality of love And that experience of love was the thing that made him go on in every circumstance. So here's what I want to do. If you have your Bibles, I want to read a passage from the Gospel of Luke. And I want to read this passage because I realized as I was thinking through this this week that Paul had something in common with another person that we see in the New Testament. This is is in the Gospel of Luke. There's a person in Luke chapter 7 and they identify her as the immoral woman. How would you like to be known for all eternity? Like that's that's what you're called in Scripture. The immoral woman. Like wow, that's pretty tough, you know. But but Paul had this encounter with Christ at some point in his life that revolutionized him from the inside. That gave him the ability to do all that he did, and. When I was reading this text this week, I was struck by what happened to this immoral woman on her way to having an encounter of love with Jesus that changed her life too and all of the people around her as well. Let's read this together. Starting at verse 36, it goes like this. I'm reading from the the New Living Translation. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and he sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard that Jesus was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. And then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet. And she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She is a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told his story, this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. What, who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears, and she has wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in here, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, But she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus turned to the woman. And he said, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. There's a couple of interesting things that you'll notice about this story. First of all, this woman must have been near Jesus at some point. I mean, this obviously isn't her first encounter. She had already been impacted by something she heard him say or saw him do somewhere Along the line. But it had such a profound effect on her. That she responded with an extravagant love. That caused indignation to the people who observed it. This woman had an encounter with Jesus prior to this moment. That led her to doing something that in the eyes of the people. The rest of the people that were in that room called foolish called waste wasteful you know in in some of the other gospels there's a there's a there's a part of the story where somebody was saying we could have used sold that perfume and used that money to help the poor and jesus said well listen the poor you're always going to have with you i'm not always going to be among you this is a really good thing that she's doing But the thing I love most about the story is that it really what it what it shows us is that not everything in the Bible is a prescription to apply to your life. God knows that you are more than just merely a rational being. The Bible isn't only a list of principles to apply to your life. It is more often than not a description of what faithfulness in a certain person's life looks like. And that description that you see in the scripture is meant to give you permission to respond to Christ in a beautiful way. How we see this woman responding to God is actually permission to you and I to approach God with that same kind of love. A lot of us, actually, we come to God with a sense of duty. Or we come to God with a sense of appeasement. Like we're trying to position ourselves so that he doesn't see the immorality in our life. Or he doesn't see the shortcomings and weaknesses in our life. Or he doesn't see our cold-heartedness. But this woman... I. Apparently, it was kind of like known that she was an immoral person, and none of that is drawing her to Jesus or keeping her away from Jesus. She just had some kind of interaction with the good news that he was preaching that caused her to act extravagantly in a way that made no sense to any of the rest of the people in that room. And when we see that, that's not A poem for you to read, it's permission for you to enter into. It's an invitation for you to come again to the Lord. What we see in this woman is truly strange. In fact, it is so strange that it it causes the other people who are witnessing it to become indignant. But people who respond to the love which God has shown them will often respond extravagantly. They will sing from their chains. They will cry tears on Jesus' feet. They will procure something valuable and they'll waste it on God. This woman was wasting her life on God in this moment. Some scholars say that that perfume that was poured out on Jesus in that moment cost her a year's worth of her wages. Do you know what a person can do with a year's worth of wages? They can live. On some level, there was some sacrifice that was going on on her part. But you know, when you're touched by the love of God in such an extravagant way, sacrifice stops being sacrificial. Sacrifice just becomes like the reasonable worship that you give God in your life. And for me personally, I've needed to go back to this story because I think lately what I've done is I've I've gone, Oh my God, I've wasted so many years of my life trying to follow Jesus. And all I have is just so much trial and error, trial and failure. I I clearly don't know how to do this. Lord, I feel like I've wasted so many days at my attempts of following you. But when I see what Jesus, how Jesus responds to this woman, he opens wide up. He knows she has spent a lot of her life to procure this offering. He's no dummy. He knows what she's giving. And he doesn't say, Oh, no, no, baby, that's too much. Put that in your savings account for a rainy day. You need to manage your life better. You know, because hard times are coming. You never know when the stock market's going to fail and you're going to need that cash. What does Jesus do to people who approach him with extravagant love? He receives it. He receives it. Do you like your friend's To not listen to you when you're talking to them. What are the best kind of conversations that we have? They're reciprocal. You talk. And when you're talking, I'm not talking. What am I doing? I'm listening. And then at some point in this conversation, after I've gone, "Mm -hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Oh, girl, that's right. Yes. (laughs) Then it becomes my turn to talk. And I get to say the things to you that I want to say. There's something so wonderful about relationships where there's reciprocation happening. You know, you'll have times in your life where one person is maybe doing more of the relational caring than another. And that's okay. But when you're really in stride with a good relationship, there's reciprocation coming, going back and forth, right? Jesus is just like you and me. He likes us to come to him in the same way that we like him to come to us. I mean, God is not so standoffish. He's not so aloof that when somebody shows up with a song, a hymn, a prayer, anything, whatever it is that you want to. Communicate to God, he's not over there going like this. Mm." I do not like that song. (laughs) You know, people are not easy, right? Like try being a worship leader and having to pick songs that everybody will like. It's not easy. You know, sometimes you get emails from people. I did not like that song. You need to stop doing that song. But the thing is, Jesus loves those songs. And even if they're not theologically perfect, even if they're not, I don't know, they don't have a good beat. I don't know. I don't know why people don't like certain songs. There's plenty of songs I hate. But, but the Lord loves these extravagant expressions of praise that we give to him not because he's an egomaniac but because he knows that you're created to interact with the person who made you you are a chip off the old block You were made in the image of God. And that means you were made to speak to him and you were made to listen to him. You were made to sing to him and you were made to receive the songs that he's singing over you. You were made to give God love and you were made to receive God's love. And I think for me, A lot of the love that I don't have for God stems from the amount of love that I haven't received from him. My goodness. And it's not that he's not loving me. It's that I'm just not that open to the things that he has to say to me. See, a lot of us are actually afraid of who God is. Or we have the wrong idea of who he is. Like like we think that he's out to get us for the bad week we just had and all the ways we didn't behave properly. So when we come in to sing to him or in, in our week when we're, you know, trying to have some kind of devotional life, we withdraw from him because we don't think that his grace is sufficient. And, it, and his grace is sufficient. It is sufficient for us. When when it comes to following Jesus, some of us really do need to remember the part about love. Yes, there are things for us to do. There are projects, projects for us to work on. But none of that matters if we forget how wonderful Jesus is. We cannot neglect the poor. We cannot neglect doing good works. But what this story Of the quote unquote immoral woman really shows us is that it is possible for people to forget their first love. This woman was enraptured with love, but she was surrounded people who were just good at going to church. She was surrounded by Pharisees and scribes. They got it all right. They knew how to, they knew what time to show up for church. They knew how to have a good prayer life. They knew how to sing the right songs, but they didn't know about loving God extravagantly because when this woman shows up and does this, they're offended. So that's possible for us too. We can forget our first love. We don't want to be followers of Jesus who forget that all that we believe and all that we do and all that we hope for begins and ends in our love relationship with Jesus. The reason why Paul was devoted to Jesus in the prison cell is because he loved him. That's it. The reason why we do this is because we love Jesus. That's it. And we don't want to be people who forget that. We don't want to be people who stand in judgment of other people who are extravagantly loving the Lord. You know, here's the thing. You can come to God with your unbelief. And you should. If you have unbelief working on you in your life, it's okay. You can can approach God with that. That's what the gospel is for. The gospel is for... People who are filled with unbelief, cynicism, anger, you name it, God is wide open to it, right? You can come to God with your unbelief. You can approach God with whatever amount of doubt you have. You can be cynical, you can be bitter, you can be angry, and you can still approach God. You should draw near to God in whatever state you find yourself in. God isn't afraid of the things that we go through. He's not afraid of the burdens that we carry or the wounds that we bear. But what gets most recognized is when you approach him in love. That's it. Even in this story that we just heard about the woman anointing Jesus's head and crying her tears we don't know if there were tears of happiness or repentance or what whatever it was that she was crying over she was those tears were falling on the feet of jesus and she was wiping them away with his hair there was some proximity going on there there was some intimacy going on there there was some extravagance going on there and jesus said this that is happening right here will never be forgotten. In fact, this moment right here will be memorialized for all eternity. I mean, in the text at the beginning of it, she's known as the immoral woman. But at the end of this story, what Jesus is, he's not talking about any of the sin that was going on in her life. The only thing he says that she will be remembered for is the extravagant approach of love that she made towards him. And what was true of her then is true of us now. God's heart is wide open to you no matter who you are or what state of your life that you're in. You can come to him with whatever baggage you have. But what he really wants for you is a reciprocating relationship where you feel his love in your life and that effect of that love will produce in you a greater love for him still. Now, I've been thinking about this a whole lot lately. There's a passage in in 1 Peter that you've heard me quote lately, but I've, I've been thinking about it a lot. It goes like this. Peter's writing to the church and he says, Though you have not seen him, you trust him. Even not seeing him now, you love him. So here's the deal. Paul did have a supernatural encounter with Jesus Christ where he laid eyes on him. This woman in this story obviously was in the physical presence of Jesus. But I think if, I'm, if my suspicions are right, having physically seen or been with the physical life of Jesus is no advantage those people have no advantage over you or i you and i can love jesus the same way as those people and actually we have an advantage over those people we get to do this by faith and in god's economy that is the most precious gift of love that you can ever give to Jesus. The mystery of loving God in the life that you have that you sometimes conclude is too difficult and feels impossible to do is actually the gift that God has given you in order that you can discover the wonderful mystery of loving God in the middle of your actual life. Do you think that Jesus has a value for the love that we show him? Absolutely. When you come to God with love, he remembers it. When you come to God with love, he memorializes it. I don't want the people who know me in my life to approach me only because they have a duty to me or a responsibility to me. I want people who know me to approach me because they love me. I want people to like me just to like me, not so that they can get something out of me. And God is the same way. So here's what we're going to do, y'all. We're going to move into a little bit of practical application this morning. Can I invite the worship, the worship band up right now? We're going we're gonna to mo- just move into a time of worship again. But I want to tell you, while they're coming up, I want to tell you this one other thing. I was having lunch with my friend Peter Hartwig this week. And we were at the Mexican restaurant on Woodlawn, which I always go to. Two or three times a week I eat there. Number 31 on the lunch menu. Shredded beef in my taco, cheese in my enchilada. so good. But I said this thing to Peter. I said something to the effect... That God is everywhere, he's always working, he's always doing stuff, he's always moving. God is just circling the globe and just working all the time. And he said to me something really that just kind of was a dagger into my heart. He said, well, Andy, the Holy Spirit is not at the bottom of the Mariana Trench right now. He's like, there's a difference between the person of the Holy Spirit and the omnipresence of God. And and I said, okay, say a little bit more about that. He said, you have to welcome the Holy Spirit into your life. You have to always or continually or habitually welcome the Holy Spirit into your life. Not because he likes to play hard to get, but because he is a person which is different than the omnipresent presence of god that does fill the whole universe every nook and cranny of the universe is packed with the dna of god but the person of the holy spirit he is a person he is interactive and if you have if you're married you know that you can't be standoffish to your spouse you kind of have to open your heart to that person on occasion so that you can have a relationship that is healthy and good and ongoing amen i mean that 's not just true of spouses it 's true of any relationship but i was I was struck when Peter said this to me because I, I think it was the day before or the day after i can 't remember but Amy and I were in the truck and we were driving talking the way we do just trying to figure out life and God and all of that type of stuff and we just started feeling the need to welcome the Holy Spirit back into our lives on a regular basis because we 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 realized that we had fallen out of the habits of saying yes to the Holy Spirit anybody know what i'm talking about or am i just okay there's a few of you all right i'm not totally alone so here's what i would like us to do real quick let's just stand together and um i'm gonna pray and 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 before i pray i want to tell you this I, I'm, I'm gonna pray right now but i I want to really put a practical application to, to the message that I've just given. Because if it's one thing I can't stand, it's like all of this lofty theory up here, but it's it's not something that we're putting into our lives. But what I believe is the Lord is drawing near to us because He has such a heart, He has such a passion for you, for your family. That he's drawing near to us, and he's, by his grace, beckoning us again to some of our first love ways. Do you remember when you first got saved, and the world was just alive, and every, you could see God in everything? And then the years went by, and maybe some disappointment crept up. Maybe you went through some hard things, and you just... That, that love may be diminished a little bit. It happens. It's okay. The Holy Spirit is beckoning us back to a moment where we're returning to our first love again. So what I want to encourage you with this week is every day when you get up, I'm not going to say read your Bible. I'm not going to say pray for eight hours. I'm not going to say any of that. I'm going to say through your days... When you get up in the morning and just sporadically through your days, just surprise yourself. You, when you're driving in your car, when you're standing in the shower, when you're standing in line at the grocery store, submit your heart to the Lord and say, welcome, Holy Spirit. I welcome you right now into this grocery store line. I, I, Holy Spirit, I'm so glad you're in my life. I, I, I invite you here right now into the coffee shop. And don't be afraid. He's not going to ask you to pass out tracks. He's not going to ask you to get onto the street corner with a bullhorn. I mean, he, he might. But, but what I'm saying is we are a prophetic. When I say prophetic, I mean we are a people full of encouragement. We are encouraged by the Lord. And we are carrying the encouragement of the Lord. And when we go into the world and we become aware of the Holy Spirit that encouragement tends to find its way out of us. It it goes out of us into other people when we arrive at a greater awareness of the love of God in our lives. So let's just start this right now together. And and I'm just going to say a simple prayer, but why I'm saying this prayer, you guys could just silently or audibly just welcome the Holy Spirit in in your life right now. Holy Spirit, We thank you for being the person that you are. We thank you that Jesus sent you to be our comforter. We thank you that Jesus sent you. You said, Jesus, that it was better that you would go so that the Holy Spirit could come. We believe you, Lord. We believe you when you said that. And forgive us, forgive us, Lord for maybe growing cold in our hearts. Forgive us for maybe growing aloof. Forgive us for maybe not reciprocating in the relationship that you want to have with us. Lord, I ask that you would wash away any shame or condemnation, any sense of rejection, any sense of loneliness or bitterness. Holy Spirit, we welcome you right now into our disappointments We welcome you right now into those barren places that have long been dry. We ask you to come again into those places and drench us with faith. Drench the wildernesses of our hearts with faith, Lord. We ask that you would give us your faith because we can't muster it up on our own. Holy Spirit we welcome you we welcome you again we welcome you again into our lives you've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week for more information on this message and other resources visit queencity.church